Thank you, Bob. Those hymns are absolutely beautiful. We're approaching the end of the year, and we're kind of looking over a fence to next year, into 2020. The Romans had a god for times like this, Janus. And actually, it was Julius, he's the god of passageways, gateways, and gates, doorways. He was depicted with a face facing this way and a face facing that way. He is the god of change. In fact, the Romans used to celebrate the beginning of a new year at, the, at spring, uh, summer solstice. Julius Caesar changed that. He, he invented a whole new calendar and he made Janus the god of the new month, or January. That's where we get the name January for the first month of the year. What is the time for change? And you and I are looking, peering into the next month. And that's really what my talk is about this morning. What do we see next year? Proverbs 27, one reads, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. So let's look into uh, some scripture, in particular, Luke 12. That's the important parable of the Lord Jesus Christ, Luke 12. And what I've noticed is that different people look into the future in different ways. And Paul actually points them out also. There's a person of the world, I'll call him uh, the carnal, or not the carnal, the, the natural man. And from a Christian point of view, that person is lost. It could be a man or a woman. I'll just use man in a, a general way to mean both men and women. And there's some characteristics you can look for to recognize the natural man or the lost man or woman. And one is the natural man lives for the moment. And uh, if in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? For let us eat, drink for tomorrow we die. And a lot of advertising is aimed at eating and drinking. Okay, that motivates everybody. But let's look at one in math in Luke chapter 12. Uh, start with verse 16. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build a greater. And there, then, I will store, there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, that's an interesting way to address your soul. <laughs> do we ever do that? <laughs> Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, 
eat, drink, and be merry. That's an approach to life. And my guess is if, if you're unsaved, that may well be your goal in life, especially in 2020. Eat, drink, and marry, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Man's looking into the future. What do you, maybe it was December 31st of that year. And he's looking into the future. His crops had all come in. Not, he may have been a, a hard worker, or it doesn't say. Let's say he was. Uh, in any case, God brought forth from the ground plenty for his barns. He took no time to thank God for what he had done for him that year, but was planning for the future. And don't we all do that? We plan for the future. The question is, what is the future you're planning for? And it's, the, the characteristic of an unsaved person is, they live for the moment. Very little planning for the future. And Jesus points out the real future really is when you meet up with God at the end. What is your future? Another characteristic of the natural man is that he has no fear of God. And that's an example of the rich fool. That's the way he's titled in my Bible. It doesn't, Jesus, it, it tells the story, but I don't know in your Bible if it, uh, it sections out this parable called the rich fool. Indeed, he was. He gave no thought for the future. No fear of God. I had an, uh, it, I used to have an active, uh, active pilot's license. It's, it, I have a pilot's license, but I'm not active. Uh, a number of years ago, and I was taking a sort of like an exercise flight from Cable Airport in Upland to Long Beach Airport. I would do this in a, occasionally just to keep up my skills. I'd rent a plane and fly down there and fly back. Uh, I was instrument rated. And I knew the weather down in Long Beach had it overcast. So I decided to do it and went down. Uh, it was just a flying extra exercise, but uh, I would need instruments. I knew that. And I had to follow the directions of the air traffic controller. Uh, he gave me instructions as I was flying uh, the air traffic controller in, in the, that whole, the whole region was giving me general directions, telling me what my heading should be, what my altitude should be. And uh, that's good exercise. I mean, you're, you're learning to listen, and you're listening to obey. But all the instruments on the plane that I could use were my airspeed indicator, my altitude indicator, and whether my wings were level. Uh, that, that's called a turn and bank indicator. Now. I was okay until I got into Orange County, and then I had to start descending. And then I was into the cloud bank. My windshield is opaque. All I see is white. All I have are my instruments. I knew where I wanted to go, but could I do it on my own? No. This is the problem, you know, soon after airplanes were discovered and used in World War I, they discovered 
we need some instruments to help when we go into clouds and rain and weather. It was so wonderful as I followed his directions to make the turns, descend, make the turns, descend. When all of a sudden I broke under the clouds and there's the runway dead ahead. It was fantastic. I wish I could share that with you, that experience when you trust and it turns out the way you expect. Now I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my savior a number of years ago. But I look forward to that time when I see him. I expect to see him. And as I read God's word and I pray and I listen for the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, I expect to see the runway straight ahead. That is heaven itself. And to see him there to welcome me. An unsaved person is flying blind, as they say, uh, flying by the seat of his or her pants, uh, based on their past experiences. But they're not trusting in God, and that's a characteristic of an unsaved person. And they, don't, they have no fear of God. They have no fear of judgment to come. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment, that we read in Hebrews 9 and 27. And in Revelation 20, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. Is your name written in the book of life? You will stand before God. The unsafe person has no fear of judgment to come. Now God offers salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. An unsafe person will reject that. It'll be foolishness to them. The preaching of the cross is foolishness. This is a problem that Paul points out in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the fact that the Greeks are expected to be reasoned out how you get to approach God or how you make yourself right with God. Or even if there is a God, they'll use reasoning and uh, it's interesting how far that can get you. Uh, it doesn't prepare you for judgment to come. Uh, you, can, you can admire the stars. You can admire forests, trees, flowers, uh, and all that God created. But it doesn't prepare you for judgment to come. He's speaking to you. But you don't hear the cross. And the cross is vital. That's the Christian message in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, where he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Paul could say in 123 that we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. You can't get at it by reason. Christ is crucified. How does that bring you peace with God? And the Jews stumbled because their Messiah, they thought, would be coming and leading a big army, you know, to free them from the Romans. 
And here's a humble carpenter, an itinerant preacher, preaching. And then we, the Romans put him to death. How does that save a person? So they reject God's offer of salvation. Last, uh, I guess it was last Sunday, last Sunday night, a brother, Al Schultz, was preaching. I don't know if you were here. If you weren't, it was simply John 3.16. It was beautiful. I, I told him afterwards it was perfect. It was simple. And the gospel is simple in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. It's believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done at the cross. He died on the cross bearing our sins, punished by God for our sins, and believing in him and what he has done, you're saved. Simple faith. That's what it takes. Trusting him. Like I would take the air traffic controller and trust him or her. It was a him that day. I trust everything that person's told me to do. Now, he could see me. My little airplane had a little called transponder, and when the, the radar hit it, it would transpond uh, a signal back indicating where I was and my altitude. And he knew where I was all the time, and I'm going through a fog bank. All I see is, is white, it's opaque. You know, the question is then, so that's a characteristic of an unsaved person. The next is, how do you recognize a Christian? That's an interesting question, because the problem is many Christians are, you might say, spiritual. Other Christians are, Paul called, carnal, and I'll share what that means in a minute. But that's the direction we're going. How do you recognize different people, and how do they look at the next year, 2020? We already know now the unsaved person lives for the moment, rejects the gospel, does not fear God's judgment. Uh, you know, they have those characteristics. For a Christian, Romans 5 and 1 is one of my favorite verses, actually. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that person uh, has experienced the, that moment in their life when they said, I want to be saved. I want to trust Jesus, what he, who he is, what he's done for me. That's salvation. That's a Christian. In Romans 10 and 9, a favorite verse for people who are evangelists giving out the gospel. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Those are great verses. But in illustration of this, uh, there's a great book that you need to read in 2020 if you're a believer, and that's Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, his name before he became a Christian was Graceless. Uh, and he has experience of wanting to know, uh, do something about this burden on his back and all the warnings he's been given about destruction, what's coming in the future. Uh, and he wants to 
get rid of the burden and he wants to be on the right path. So he gets to heaven, and in the book it's called the Celestial City, but it's, an, it's called an allegory. Uh, and it's a result of a dream that John Bunyan, the author, says that he had. So he has this burden on his back, and that's the accumulation of a sin and the guilt that comes to an unsaved person, and they have no way of dealing with it. Now, the world will offer ways of dealing with it. One of the first advisors he met in his path was uh, uh, someone who is telling him, well, you need to straighten up your life. So you'll find even, so there you go. So there you go, uh, New Year's Eve, you're writing out your resolutions for the next year. I'm gonna live a better life. Well, if you're looking to that, to have peace with God, it doesn't work. And so he finds out in the story, finally he finds an evangelist discovers him and points the way to a narrow gate and there's a cross ahead of it. So he goes, finds the narrow gate, and that's hard enough. Uh, some people think by simply finding the narrow gate, they're saved. In other words, here's a big crowd going to hell. Here's a little tiny path that leads to heaven. I'll take the narrow path. But he doesn't find any relief for the burden on his back. What do you do about the guilt? How do you get prepared for heaven? And he comes and he's directed to go straight ahead and he'll find the cross. And so he does. And he's looking on it. And the burden falls off of his back. And he says this at the end, blessed cross, blessed sepulcher, blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me. Jesus, him, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That's how you become a Christian. How do you recognize this person? Well, he's had an experience in the, at the cross. You know what I mean? Spiritually, he has seen that Christ died for his or her sins, and he's made peace with that by trusting in what Jesus has done and trusting him. Now, Paul says, someone who has, it, has had that experience, there's two types, okay? So this is, how does each of these people look at the new year? Well, the, the spiritual Christian is the one that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 1. And... Uh, I could make this last for an hour if I'd go into this, but I'm not. But there are many examples uh, of, of uh, what I, you'd call spiritual Christians. Uh, I, I came up with three. Uh, there's Stephen. The Word of God says he was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And this is at the beginning of the church. And uh, some people were complaining because they were all so poor. The rich people were sharing with the poor people food and, and things that they needed. And a certain group was not getting what they thought was fair. I, I can picture that. Uh, so they chose seven men to have this job. It's kind of a menial job. You're going to you know, serve the food and clean up the dishes. 
they chose Stephen as one of these. Uh, but he was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And what marks him out as an example of a spiritual Christian, he, he knew the word of God. And it, it's demonstrated later in, in the book of Acts. He knew the word of God. But he would step down and pass out food. He could teach it, you know, he, he knew everything, all he could do, but he takes a menial job, in other words. And that's an example of a spiritual Christian. No matter how small the job is, it's done with a smile. Easy to serve the Lord. That's their attitude. What's the least I can do? He gave all to me. I have to give something. I want to give something back. And if it's just passing out food, that's good enough. It's not, I'm, I'm not going to hesitate to do that. That's a better way to put that. I'm not going to hesitate to serve him in even small ways. Another good example you read about in 3 John, his name is Gaius. Now, Gaius is an interesting person because John is writing him a letter and uh, encouraging him. Uh, he, he first applauds Gaius's walking in the truth. And to me, that means uh, he's walking close to the Lord each day. I, my guess is uh, Gaius, when he sees a new year coming, he'll say, it's another year I can serve the Lord. And his, his gift was to help those who were strangers, itinerant preachers, those who needed help in their, in their trip, uh, take, be generous towards them. He was generous towards them. That's one of the wonderful characteristics of Gaius. And it helped them along on their journey. And people would come to John and say, do you know Gaius? He's fantastic. He really encouraged us. And he provided this and this and this that I needed. So Gaius, or Gaius was, he had a skill, I think, dealing with people, but he applied it to helping the Lord's people and being generous towards them and helping them on on their journey. That's a fine example of a true Christian, a spiritual Christian, there's one more person, and her name was Tabitha. In, in Acts 9 and 36, we read, At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. The woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. So, again, in this case, it's, it's a woman who has skills in uh, we, it doesn't say. She's just full of good works. She, maybe she made clothing for people, um, prepared meals, whatever it took. She, was, she, she could deal with people, and she did that to help the believers. It says that she was a disciple. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, you can use the word believer. When you use the word disciple, to me, it, it speaks of something else, something even greater. Not only do they... Uh, are they Christians, excuse me, but they study, they, they're students of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't know just, they don't know only about him, they know him. And for us, this is how we get to know him and, and about him. The Holy Spirit within us will show us more of him, and then through our life circumstances, and other believers that we meet teach us even more of him. Uh, so we get a better picture of what he's like. 
I love coming here to the assembly because there's so many now that know him. They walk with him. And my guess is a disciple walks with him, talks with him, and reveals himself to the spiritual Christian. Another characteristic, uh, so they're, they're students and they walk along with him. Uh, that's a spiritual Christian. Another big characteristics of a spiritual Christian is they have the faith to trust God in all circumstances. Now this is a test, almost like a test that God gives us. I'll bring you into a circumstance and it's going to be a test for you. How much do you love me? How much do you trust me? And a spiritual Christian has the faith to trust God in all circumstances. Well, something rough comes along, and you and I have the same, those kind of experiences. There's something we have no control over. A job, you're losing your job. Um, your spouse is angry at you for some reason, or um, your kids are not turning out the way you expect, or doing things that you don't expect. I mean, this is for married folks and folks with kids. If you're a single, a loss of a job, you didn't get into the school you wanted, you're failing this class because you just don't grasp it. Everybody has these encounters that are tests. Jesus is saying, how much do you love me? It says in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You're really, you're trusting God, but you're so acquainted with him that you can trust him. Um, there's a hymn called Day by Day and With Each Passing Moment, written by Carolina Sandberg-Berg. Sandbell-Berg goes like this. Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. And speaking of how we go day to day as a, as a spiritual Christian or how you recognize them, this is what she said. Every day the Lord himself is near me with a special mercy for each hour. All my cares he fain would bear and cheer me, he whose name is counselor and power. The protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he laid. As thy days, thy strength shall be in measure. This the pledge to me he made. So it's trusting and walking with the Lord. So that's the other characteristics. They study his word and know him and not just know about him. Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father but through me. The only way we get to him is to the Father is through him. Uh, last, about two weeks ago, I read, a, 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 I have a devotional I go through each day by Charles Spurgeon. And the verse was uh, from um, Second Tim, another, no, I wrote it down. Yeah, Luke 14.10. Luke 14.10, and it's a part of a parable. He just took an excerpt of a few words from this parable and then wrote a little uh, uh, devotion to it. And in that parable, there's a, a host is putting on a feast. And he's saying, if you're invited to the feast, don't go right up to the host at the, at the head of the table because sometimes that's elevated. Don't go up that way, but stay low down at the bottom part. Because if you go up there, and somebody says to you, uh, you don't, you're not entitled to be up here, you go down, that's pretty humiliating. This is what the parable is describing. It says, rather, go to the low place first, and you hear a voice that says, friend, go up higher. That's the parable. So Spurgeon takes those words, friend, go up higher, and applies it this way. It's a great way to face the new year. Friend, go up higher. Spiritually, friend, go up higher. Get closer. Get closer to the Lord. What that may take is totally a personal, personal thing. It might involve a, a situation that you have to deal with. There might be distractions in your life that have to be dealt with. Friend, go up higher. That really spoke to my heart. Where am I living day to day? Where am I living? Uh, I'm not going to be presumptuous, but he's inviting me. Go up higher. The last characteristics of a spiritual Christian is uh, they live in an expectation that the Lord may come at any time. That's fantastic. He has a, he's made a promise. He's made a promise in John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. A spiritual Christian lives in expectation of being with him and that he can come and take me to be with him. Uh, that's why he suffered what he did. It was at the cross. It was not just... Uh, yeah, we say that he died for our sins, bearing that punishment, but he had a purpose in his heart, and that was to redeem us so that he'd have a people for himself. And that's his purposes for us. And he is not satisfied till he sees the fruit of what he went through at the cross. He's living in expectation of us being with him, and we should live in expectation of his coming and then being with him.
It's explained a little more in 1 Corinthians 15. And I like this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. I like that verse. I, I, I can kind of picture it. Uh, so that which is corruption is, are these our bodies, which, you know, if we die, they, they decay. Well, something happens to us where we don't decay. Our body is changed into something different. And if you could picture the Lord Jesus Christ after he rose from the dead, now he could walk through doors, through walls. He could be here, disappear, no decay. We'll be like that. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's going to happen like that, and it could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. But a Christian lives in ex expectation of being with him. And a a change is coming, and how soon it comes, it's been 2,000 years. A lot of people say, well, where's the promise of his coming? Uh, you're believing in something that's fake. Ah, but he's long-suffering. He wants all to be saved. That's why he's delayed his coming. But a spiritual Christian, though, is expecting his coming and lives appropriately. A spiritual person walks with the Lord day by day and with each passing moment. So Paul, the, Paul, Paul says, well, that's beautiful, but some people aren't like that. And this is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, a special category of Christians. Uh, they're called carnal Christians as opposed to a spiritual Christian. Now, I do believe that trusted, they've trusted Christ. They've been to the cross. Uh, I believe a carnal Christian is a believer. Now, what the problem is this. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and just read a, a few verses. Okay, the first three, verse four, first four verses, First uh, Corinthians chapter three. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes or babies in Christ. I fed you with milk. That'd be the simple gospel. Simple gospel. You're a sinner, you're on your way to hell, you need to trust Christ as your savior. That's what Paul's message was. That was the gospel message. And not with solid food. The resurrection, uh, his walking with you each day, uh, the relationship between things in the New Testament and the Old Testament, which, of which many of the, the, the ladies and gentlemen here 
are, uh, can do very, very well. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. Why? What's going on? For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? So to recognize the carnal Christian, um, Paul points out right away, there are those who uh, creating divisions, envy, strife, and divisions in their midst. And Paul says, this is not a mark of you being spiritual. I mean, to say I am of Paul because he uh, is the first evangelist of the church. They really went out to the Gentiles. Well, even one person, one group said, I am of Christ. Well, how, you can't get much better than that. Uh, there's Barnabas, or not Barnabas, but Apollos. And he was strong in his ability to teach God's word. And I'll be of him because I'm a student. And I love strong teachers. Well, Paul is declaring, if you have this attitude, we're, hey, we're all brothers and sisters. And each of us, Apollos, he says, and myself, we're simply working for the Lord Jesus. We're supporting him. We're preaching him. And we're, we're equal, so to speak. Um, there's nothing outstanding that you should be, create a, a, a sect according to me. Apollos has as much to do in his hard work in preaching the word as I do in preaching the gospel. It's hard to get across. John Wesley... Uh, had a dream, and he dreamed to, uh, he went to heaven, or could talk to somebody who, who was in heaven, an angel, and uh, the, he asked, are there any Baptists in heaven? And the angel says, no. He said, are there any Methodists in, in heaven? He says, no. Are there any Episcopalians in heaven? No. So he said, well, I'll, I'll ask at the gate of hell. Is there any Baptists down there? No. Are there any Episcopalians down there? No. Are there any Methodists down there? No. We're just Christians. Or uh, I got mixed up in heaven. <laughs> in heaven. We're just Christians. And so Paul's saying, when you, if you're active in creating divisions, there's, there's two bad examples to look at. One is uh, Demas. Uh, Demas was a disciple who loved this present world for being a carnal Christian. Uh, this world was, even though he, he had served the Lord, even though he was you know, at the cross, his mind was on the present and basically... Uh, I'm preoccupied with uh, 
the present world. It's affluence, it's easy. Uh, I admire Trevor Kamstra, a missionary that this assembly sponsors down in Mexico. And a group from this assembly went there to support him uh, several, uh, a month or two ago. And I admire him. Uh, he could have uh, great flush toilets, uh, water you can drink, uh, all kinds of pleasures of this life uh, here we have here in the United States, but he's chosen to serve the Lord there. Uh, another person is Diotrephes, we read about in Third uh, John. Uh, John writes to good Gaius and asks, uh, well, Diotrephes, he loves to have the preeminence in the church. And if I write to him, he won't answer. Uh, or he won't let me come. He won't let other itinerant preachers who are preaching the word come. He's created his own little sect, okay? That, uh, and, and poor Gaius has no other place to go. It might be the only assembly in town. What's he to do? And Paul tells him, uh, good, uh, keep doing good. Keep your mind on those things that are good. But there's a problem with these two guys. Uh, and Paul says they're carnal. And I'll finish here in a minute. So, first of all, here are the, here's the signs of carnality. They're envious of others. Uh, they can't get along with other, other Christians. Excessively. Excessive worry about the future. They live like an unsaved person. In Psalm 73, Asaph is, uh, has written this psalm in Psalm 73. It's very interesting. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. A spiritual Christian the, if a brother or sister you know, is very wealthy, God bless them. That's more they can use to serve the Lord. Uh, a carnal Christian will be envious of it. Uh, if that person has a, a, the latest car, the latest truck, uh, the latest clothing, uh, an envious a carnal Christian will be envious of that. I must have that myself. Uh, that's a mark of a carnal Christian, uh, envy and strife, diatrophies. I want to be the first. You know, I'm going to talk, if somebody's up there, I'm going to talk, talk them down, tell other people things that'll bring him down in their sight. That's a carnal Christian. And it's tough for the elders. They have to deal with people like this. But let's make it easy for the elders in 2020. Let's love each other encourage each other, do all we can for him. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, we thank you for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He indeed has set an example for us in how we should live and uh, serve our brothers, washing their feet, as it were. We thank you, Father, that he went all the way to the cross, that he might die for our sins, that we might be his people. Help us to serve him in 2020. Help us to love him and love each other. In his precious name we pray, amen.